is risen. We come together this morning to celebrate that fact. It happened nearly 2,000 years ago. And this morning, uh, whether you're a longtime uh, member or whether you're a Christian at all, we invite you into this place and we hope you meet the risen Lord this morning. That's what we desire more than anything else. And if you're a guest of ours, we want to make sure you know where we are in in a larger series. This is kind of the middle point of something we've been involved with since Christmas. You'll see behind me these symbols. Uh, The first symbol on the left is a reminder of Jesus' incarnation, that God came to earth in the person of Jesus, which is a different story than any other religion can tell, a God who came near. But we've been talking about the story of the cross, and Good Friday, even just a few days ago, was a reminder of the death of Jesus, and that death on the cross that defeated death forever. But that wouldn't have been possible without a resurrection. We talk about that this morning, begin a celebration and a series where we'll talk about the resurrection, what it means to live with life that God has promised us in the here and now. And and coming up, we're going to be talking about the ascension, about the church and the Holy Spirit's work within us, and then finally the second coming of Jesus and the hope we have for our future. But this morning, again, it's about resurrection. And I want to begin with a word of prayer as we open God's Word together. Father, this morning we give thanks for the empty tomb. We thank you for sending your son Jesus on the cross. God, this has changed everything, starting now. So God, we we give thanks, and and we want to, in our lives, step more and more into the abundant life you've offered in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this story. We trust it is true. And this morning, in the midst of all of our lives, and the dysfunction, and the difficulty, and the pain, and the suffering, God, we uh, claim this morning your victory over Satan. We claim your victory over death. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, today I want to read the resurrection story account from the Gospel of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you have your phones with a Bible app, that's great too. Open up with us uh, or scroll to it. Mark chapter 16. Uh, I want to begin reading in verse 1. This is the final chapter, the final section in the Gospel of Mark, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the account that's there. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. They asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Isn't that a peculiar question, right? It's like they have everything prepared, but they forgot some muscles around here to roll the stone away. But they find out soon that that won't be needed. Verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Now, this is an interesting story, isn't it? And their response is a bit interesting as well, as we'll read in a moment. But I want you to put yourself there on that Sunday morning. You know about the death of Jesus on the cross, and you're going to anoint his body. Maybe that's a little far-fetched for you to be able to imagine, but imagine many of you have been to a cemetery perhaps in the last year. Perhaps you've laid a loved one to rest or you've gone to visit uh, the graveside of someone that uh, you've loved and appreciated over the years. Maybe Good Friday you did this as a reminder. 
And, and I just want you to imagine going there, pulling up to the cemetery that you've been to perhaps several times before, and all of a sudden you come up to that tomb, that gravestone, and you realize that there's an opening there, that there's no body in the grave. And I want you to imagine, what would your response be in that moment? It's so unexpected because you're coming to do one thing, to pay your respects, to anoint the body in this sense in Mark 16. But what's found there is far different. And I want you to think about your response, but listen to what the response of these women is here in in verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. The women, they, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, if you pay attention to the rest of the Bible, you realize that when scenes like this happen, it doesn't say specifically an angel, but perhaps that's what this is, that when an angel appears on the scene, this is the common response, fear and trembling, astonishment, they were amazed. Uh, In fact, it's just kind of a part of an angel's first words to anyone they encounter, fear not, don't be alarmed, because they know that's the response that's coming. Think back to all of these stories in the Old Testament. It's like we pray all the time, God, would you come near? We just want to feel your presence. And in the Old Testament, when they experience an angel, they're like, don't ever show up again, God. You know, Go do that with Moses, but not, not with me. We don't ever want to see your face again. It's interesting how we think about God, but how Scripture sometimes describes this scene. And in Mark 16, the women are afraid. They're frightened. This, is, this isn't the first time in Mark's gospel where you see this kind of response to Jesus and what he does. In fact, there's a scene where Jesus calms the storm. He's on a boat. And you remember this story, perhaps, maybe from VBS? And, and, and in this story, there's a response. Uh, this is Mark chapter 4, verse 41. Listen to the response of him calming the storm. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Again, there's not gratitude in the scene for calm waves. Now there's just uh, there, there's fear. Who, who is this? What kind of power? could possibly do what we're seeing before our eyes. There's another story in the next chapter. There's a demon-possessed man, and Jesus casts the demon out. And this is the response that we see of the townspeople to this miracle. Mark 5, verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Again, no gratitude in response. Jesus, get out of here. We don't know what's going on. There's a power we're not acquainted with in this place. And it causes them to fear, to be afraid, to be amazed and astonished. It seems like the most common response to the miraculous is this in the Gospels. And if I were to walk upon the empty tomb, I have a guess that my response would be a lot like the women's response in this scene. But stranger than the women's response is Mark's placement of this story in his gospel. Because Mark 16, verse 8, is the end of Mark's gospel. Now, some of you may be looking down at your Bibles and saying, Colin, there's actually more there than verse 8. Depending on your translation, uh, there might be. The King James Version, for instance, has verses 9 through 20 that just follows right from verse 8. But if you're reading a newer translation that has updated manuscripts, you'll begin to realize that actually verses 9 through 20 are not in the earliest manuscripts that we have, which probably raises all kinds of questions for you, right? See, we don't have the original books that are in the Bible. What we have are are early copies uh, of of those books. And I'll tell you, it's amazing how much those copies go together. We don't have to be uh, concerned at all if the resurrection happened based on the testimony of these scrolls and the witnesses. 
But there are two main scrolls, two main manuscripts that you can be assured they're the earliest and the most attested to. And those are Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus, which you don't need to write those down. It's not on the final test, okay? But these two manuscripts tell us a lot about what to expect when it comes to Scripture. And we look at those, and what we find in those two codexes is these verses 9 through 20 aren't in there. So why would anyone do that? Why would there be this addition to what Mark had ended his gospel with? Well, if you were reading this for the first time in verse 8, you might think this is a gospel in need of an ending. Because let's read it again, verse 8. Odd way to end a gospel. Mark 16, verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Here's the good news of Jesus. So why would Mark end his gospel in this way? Uh, And some of you are saying, well, he's probably got a sequel plan, Colin. You know how this works, right? You set that up already. But from what we know of John Mark, he doesn't write another book. We don't have any record of one. Some of you are familiar with this, with cliffhangers, right? You're thinking, okay, there's, there's got to be more to the story. There's an ellipsis. There's a to-be-continued. Some of you are used to watching Netflix, and you've got this thing figured out. You know at the end of a season, there's going to be a cliffhanger, so you wait to binge watch that season until the next season starts, right? So that you don't have to wait on that cliffhanger. So maybe that's what Mark's doing, but, uh, but this isn't the end of a season. This is the end of a series, right? This is the end of the good news, it seems. This is the gospel. Surely you'd end it in a better place than this. Some of you remember waiting eight months in 1980 for, to figure out who shot J.R., right? I mean, you don't do this to someone. But what happens when there's no follow-up? What happens when there's no next season? And so many uh, scholars believe that verses 9 through 20 were actually Mark's community trying to finish a gospel they think he maybe didn't quite finish as he should have. And so what they do, if you read verses 9 through 20, it's basically a a combination of the end of the gospel of Luke and the end of the gospel of Matthew. The Great Commission is in there a little bit. So they kind of put this together to kind of bring conclusion to his gospel. But one of the principles I try to bring to Scripture when I read it is that the gospel writers aren't crazy. Can we all kind of start with that? Sometimes we, we read these verses and we think, what could they possibly mean? Well, we have to believe they're saying that they have a purpose. And so this ending, I believe, has a purpose. It's just I've been trying to figure this out all week. And i got to tell you, Mark's a bit of an unorthodox writer. He's the first gospel writer. This gospel was probably finished uh, and and passed out to the church at Rome, is, is the best guess, around the early 60s A.D. So we're talking 30 years after the death of Jesus. These stories have been passed around, but now there's a written record, a letter that's been written to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's the first gospel to be written. It's also a fast-moving account. There's no sermons in the midst of this like some of the other gospels. The Sermon on the Mount's not in that gospel. The the parables of Jesus, there aren't many of them in the gospel of Mark. It's fast-moving. It's action-oriented, getting all the way up to this point in the gospel. But then I began to think about Mark, and I realized he begins his gospel just as strangely as he ends his gospel. In fact, turn over with me to Mark chapter 1 at the beginning of of this gospel. Mark 1 verse 1. Just listen to the way he starts uh, his, his story. It says there, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now that's a little different than Matthew and Luke start their gospels. They tell the story of the birth of Jesus. They tell the story from the beginning, right? But Mark doesn't begin there. In fact, he lets the reader in on a clue that the rest of the people in the story don't know. He's saying this good news I'm about to tell you about, let me just give you a hint. He's the Son of God, okay? You know that, and the rest don't. Now, it's interesting. Son of God. 
There's only two characters in the entire story who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God in the Gospel of Mark. And they may not be who you expect them to be. It's not the disciples. It's the demons and the centurion who's killing Jesus. Those are the only ones in the whole Gospel who know and proclaim what the reader already knows from verse 1. It's a strange opener because it's like giving the ending before it all starts. And so this unorthodox writer, Mark, he ruins the ending at the beginning and he doesn't seem to have an ending at all at the end of the story. I've been thinking all week about this verse. Why would you end the gospel in this way? Again, Mark 16, verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And I thought about this all week and I couldn't make sense of it. Until all of a sudden I remembered Mark 1, verse 1 again. I just want to read this one more time. Listen closely to these words because I think in here we see a reason for why he ends it the way he does. Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark does not begin his gospel by saying, I'm going to tell you the entire good news of Jesus Christ. He begins his gospel saying, let me tell you about the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He doesn't promise the end. He promises the beginning of the good news. If you look behind me, these symbols that we've been talking about in this longer series that we've been through, we realize that Jesus coming to earth is uh, the beginning of that story, and the death and the resurrection, that's the beginning, but the story goes on, doesn't it? In fact, in future weeks, we're going to talk about the end of the good news, about where this is all headed. But what we find in this story doesn't need a wrap-up ending. It doesn't need a bow tied on it because it's not the end of the story at all. It's the moment where everything changes. It's the hinge point of human history. Death is defeated in the resurrection. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. In February 2010, Rick and Beverly Ross came into one of the most difficult parts of their journey as a married couple. Rick has always been a preacher in his adult life. He, preached at the, he preaches now at the Decatur Church of Christ. He preached years ago at the Mesquite Church of Christ. Some of you may have had connections with Rick and Beverly. They had three kids. They have Jenny, uh, who's their oldest, and, and then Josh and, and, and Jonathan. And Josh has been a close friend of mine and tells this story as well. They were uh, going into the hospital, uh, Jenny was, in order to find out what was going on with this temperature that she was having. And, and she was diagnosed with the swine flu at the beginning of February in 2010. A few days later, her temperature continued to rise, so she went back to the hospital. Quickly, she was put into ICU. And what she discovered was she'd been misdiagnosed. It was actually septic shock that was affecting her body. And over the next 18 days, the family gathered around Jenny, praying and fighting, and praying to God for her life. The journey was a difficult journey. There were tens of thousands of people across the globe that were praying for this family, that God would heal, that God would move, that he would do his work of healing. And the doctors said the odds were 500,000 to one that sepsis would break the brain barrier and take her life. But that's exactly what happened in February of 2010. Here's Rick and Beverly, this preacher and proclaimer of the gospel who all his life, all their lives have said the, the cross and the resurrection are the center of everything. But as they leave the hospital after Jenny's death, they see the light at the end of the hallway. And, and Beverly grabbed Rick by the arms and said to him, Rick, I don't know if I can do this. We've never known a world without Jenny in it. Rick, what is it that we believe? 
And in that moment, in, with words he could have never prepared on the spot, but words he's been preparing to say all of his life, his response was four words that that family has stuck with. The tomb is empty. And this morning, some of you are, are coming out of a difficult year. 2015 and the beginning of 16 has been a challenge. In fact, you've been at gravesides this year. You never expected that you'd be here. And i got to tell you, Easter Sunday is one of those days you have to hang on to, isn't it? When you've lost a loved one, when you have a mom or dad that's passed away, a, a brother or sister, anyone in your life, a spouse that you're walking without, you need these four words. Because it's the hope that we have that the rest of the world doesn't. That death is defeated, that one day all of us who are in Jesus Christ will be raised to new life. Maybe today you need to leave with those four words. And this is what we believe as the church. We believe that the resurrection has changed not just eternity, it's changed everything today. Mark 16.8 is an odd ending to a gospel. But the fact that we're all worshiping here today is proof that those women and the disciples told the story, didn't they? They didn't remain silent forever. That story's been passed on through the generations, and now we proclaim it and we sing about it today The fact that we're celebrating today is proof that they didn't remain silent. They told the story. The Gospel of Mark is exactly what Mark promised. In Mark 1.1, he says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. But it was a story that was in search of a better ending than where Mark left it. Which brings me to one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Perhaps my favorite. It's Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, open with me if you would. Hebrews 11. Some of you already know what's in this passage. Hebrews 11 tells the story of all kinds of heroes in, of faith that were faithful. And it introduces them over and over again. By, by faith, Abel. By faith, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. By faith, by faith, all of these characters in the Old Testament, they believed. They had faith. They kept the faith. But at the end of Hebrews 11, it's not just about the characters in the past. There's a word spoken to those of us who are still living today waiting on the ending of this story. And this church, this is good news. This may be one of those verses you need to take with you today. This is Hebrews 11, verse 39. These, talking about all these people who live by faith, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made That is an incredible passage of Scripture. Think about that for a moment. That all of these characters, Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and all of these characters that are brought up in this passage, what was promised to them has not yet been completed and fulfilled. That somehow, God is using us. Only together with us would they be made perfect. I don't even know what to do with that other than to know that this story is not finished, church. God's still writing the good news. The beginning of the good news, it's happened, but it's still being told. It's still being worked out. God is active. The tomb is empty. Death has been defeated, but there's still more to be written to the story, and we get to be a part of it. Only together with us would they be made perfect. Let's read on in chapter 12, verse 1, what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition 
from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What's the image that the Hebrews writer is sharing? It's as if there's this arena and, and this great cloud of witnesses are looking in on the story. And we're running our race. And what does it say in, in Hebrews 11? It says they've not gotten what they were promised. They're still waiting on us so that together with us they might become perfect. Imagine just in the scene this morning if there were those on the rafters, not just the characters in Scripture, but the loved ones that you visit their graveside who are rooting us on. Who are saying we're only made perfect if you continue this story. And they're rooting us on, and we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. But church, the story is still being told. The good news is not yet complete. And we get to be a part of that story. To me, that's good news. Do I have an amen this morning? That we get to be in on this thing. The tomb is empty, but the story isn't finished. And this morning, my guess is that there are some of you who are thinking, I'm living in Mark 16.8 right now. Uh, yeah, the, the tomb is empty. I've heard those four words, but uh, trembling and bewildered, we're running away from God. That may feel like where you're at right now. Or maybe you're not so certain about the tomb being empty. Even that is a question. And I want to tell you this morning, this story is vital for your life this morning because the story's not finished. It's okay to be in a Mark 16.8 moment, but let's remind ourselves there's more to the story. And that God who raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that was at work to raise Him from the dead is available to those of us who have His Holy Spirit. He continues to write that story. Remember, Jesus is the author and He still wants to pick up His pen. And He wants to use you. So this morning, you may need that word of encouragement to say, keep on in the race. Don't don't stop. There's a cloud of witnesses rooting you on. The ones you've lost who passed on this story of faith to you, they still need for you to complete this story. So maybe this is the morning where you need to pick up your race number again that's dusted off and get on your running shoes. Maybe it's not going to look like a run. It's going to look like a walk first. But I want to encourage you, pick it up, will you? There's others of us that we'd love to partner with you, to join with you, to, to walk beside you in this race. But we need each and every one of you walking in this story that's still being told. This is the good news, is that God is not through with us yet. And that the tomb is empty, and that changes everything for our lives today. And I don't know what it is this morning that you may need the resurrection to change in your life, but today's a day filled with hope that whatever came the day before, it can die, it can pass away. We can confess those things, and God can raise us to new life with new power for the days ahead. God needs each and every one of you in this story with us. And, and those people from the past who live by faith, they're rooting you on. What do you say? Why don't we finish this race? Why don't we get back to running it? Why don't we put that race number on and join the great multitudes that are rooting us on to victory? But that victory is not in what we do. It's not in crossing that finish line. It's in what Jesus has done. Amen? So Maybe this morning, like Xander, some of you need to give your lives to Jesus. What an encouraging time to see any baptism, to remind us of the same moment where we went through the death and the resurrection, the tomb's empty, and that's what changes it for all of us. Maybe today's that day for you, and I'd love to talk with you. We have another service we'd love to be a part of, of baptizing you into Christ. Or maybe you just need to talk through a life journey right now, a struggle you're walking through, or maybe you don't know how to pick up that race number and start again. Uh, find me after service. Find those in the prayer room. We'd love to, to help you find what your next step is. Right now, let's pray uh, with this good news that's been pronounced. God, we, we give thanks today for Jesus. 
We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his resurrection. And God, I thank you for passages like Hebrews 11 and 12 that remind us that you're not finished with this world. You're not finished with us. God, your grace is sufficient and your grace is the only thing that allows us to stand. So God, would you allow us back into this race? We know you do. And so God, this morning, wherever we find ourselves, we confess that we're not enough on our own. We confess that our sin is before us too often. And we want to repent of those sins, God, and we want to claim your name and your son and your grace. And we ask that that would be enough, God, today for us. God, for those that, uh, that need a word of hope in the midst of death that's been among them this year, I pray that the tomb is empty would be four words they leave with. God, we thank you for resurrection, and we trust in the story. We believe it happened, and we look forward to one day where resurrection will happen in our own lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone who agrees said, Amen.